0: Hey Creeps, I'm Taylor and this is TGI Crime Day. Hi my lovely Creeps, welcome to episode 13. Today we are going to be talking all about the insanity surrounding Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow where to even begin. I feel like this case is going to be talked about for years, just like a Chris Watts or Casey Anthony, who I will never speak of again on this podcast. Don't get me started. Anyway, this is one of the big cases that I know I will remember because we watched it all unfold step by horrifying step. It began with a couple of missing children and unfolded into some weird culty things, mysterious deaths, doomsday beliefs, zombies, portals to other worlds. That sounds absurd, but it's truly all involved in this tale. If somehow I'm the first person to tell you this story, I'm honored. Buckle your seatbelts, kids. This one's a bumpy ride. Uh, I decided I wanted to cover this case because there was a lot of really great in-the-moment coverage as everything unfolded last year, and I thought it would be good to do a full overview of this case, all of the information in one place. So, it's going to be a long one. Get comfy. The first time that alarms were raised about Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow was at the end of November 2019. The Rexburg, Idaho Police Department got a call asking them to do a welfare check, and this call was made by Larry and Kay Woodcock because it had been months since they'd heard from either of their grandchildren, and they were beginning to worry that something was wrong. When the police showed up for the welfare check on November 26th, neither of the kids were there, and Chad and Lori gave excuses about where they were. The next day, November 27th, Chad and Lori were nowhere to be found. This obviously looks like an extra large red flag, so police began to look into Chad and Lori Daybell, and when they did, yikes, they opened up a whole can of worms. Let's take a look at these two people on their own, and then we will get into the mess that they created together. Chad Daybell was born August eleventh, nineteen 1968, in Provo, Utah. He got a degree in journalism from Brigham Young University in 1992, and while he was in college, he married his first wife, Tammy Douglas. Chad worked a few different jobs while he was in college, including as a grave digger. Red flag, save that in your back pocket for later. Chad and Tammy had five children together, and for a while, Tammy was an amazing stay-at-home mom who did a great job juggling all of the things. In 2004, Chad and Tammy started their own publishing company called Spring Creek Publishing Company. Chad was an author and mainly wrote fiction books that were basically doomsday novels. Uh, Red flag, add that to the pile. Tammy took on a ton of different responsibilities in this company, including handling all the accounting and designing book covers. Chad's books were actually pretty popular. When you do a quick invest Google about these books, it says that he wrote more than 20 apocalyptic and LDS novels. I assume they were pretty popular if he felt like he needed to write over 20 of them. Uh, so his books were sold at Deseret Book, which is an LDS bookstore that sells church stuff and art and books and things like that. Pretty awkward that his stuff was sold in a religious store because of where the story ends up going, but who would have been able to guess? So Chad was just riding away, living his best, and Tammy was killing it as a businesswoman, and a mom, and from everything that I've read, everyone had nothing but wonderful, lovely things to say about Tammy. She was a hard worker, she was an amazing mom, and she cared a lot about her friends and family. One day out of the blue in 2015, Chad said that he heard a voice tell him that they needed to move to Rexburg, Idaho. Hearing voices, add that to your pile of red flags. All right, let's talk about Lori Ballow for a moment. Lori was born June 26, 1973, in San Bernardino, California. When she was 19, she married her first husband, who was her high school sweetheart, and his name was Nelson Yanes. This marriage didn't last long, and they divorced pretty quickly. After a few years, when Lori was 21, uh, she married her second husband, William LaGoya, and they lived together in Texas and had one son named Colby. He was born in 1996. They ended up getting divorced in 1998. A few years later, in 2001, Lori married her third husband, a man named Joseph Ryan. Joseph legally adopted Colby, and then they had a daughter together who they named Tylee. Eventually, Joseph filed for divorce in 2004, and their divorce was finalized May fifteenth, two 2005. Lori got bit by that love bug again and married her fourth husband, Charles Anthony Vallo, in Las Vegas on February twenty fourth, 2006. Charles also had two kids from a previous marriage, Nicholas and Zachary, and from everything that I've heard and read about Charles, he sounds like a super sweet guy, great dad, hard worker, and it seems like he and his first wife split up amicably. His ex-wife, Cheryl, has all good things to say about him, and it seemed like they still had a very good, like, parenting relationship, even after they got divorced. Charles had been Catholic his whole life, but when he converted to Mormonism, uh, because Lori was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, aka LDS, aka Mormons. I'll say LDS from now on because that's a mouthful. It seems like at first, Charles and Lori had a really good marriage, but then some weirdness started happening. From the very beginning, cheryl felt like laurie was a bit of an oddball to say the least nicholas and zachary lived with their mom cheryl most of the time but spent alternating holidays weekends and summers with their dad and laurie laurie was still in a custody battle with her third husband and cheryl said that they all ended up having to appear in front of a court together like in front of a judge to get everything squared away and cheryl said that at one point the judge ordered cameras to be put in laurie's home after some strange incidents at their house Nothing suspicious or criminal was ever found by this surveillance, but Cheryl always felt like something was off with Lori. Girl, you were right. And then she said that while they were in court, Lori seemed to love it. She loved the limelight, she loved being in court, she loved all of the drama. So Lori had a pretty big bouquet of red flags herself. Let's introduce another important character into this story, Lori's brother Alex Cox. It seems like Lori and Alex had always been very close and he was extremely protective of his sister so protective, in fact, that he attacked Lori's ex-husband, her third husband, Joseph Ryan, after one of their many days in court for the custody hearings. In 2007, Lori and Joseph were meeting in a parking lot to exchange their daughter, Tylee. Alex followed Joseph into the parking lot, saying that he wanted to talk. Yeah, right. Then call him on the phone, okay? Anyways, Alex threatened to kill Joseph and then shocked him twice with a stun gun. Luckily, Joseph was able to get out from under Alex and run around the side of a building where a witness saw Alex holding the stun gun. Once he realized this witness saw him, he backed off and walked away. Joseph was examined by EMS that day and said he felt okay, but the following day he did go to the hospital for chest pains and pains in his wrist, which was fractured. They kept him overnight for observation and he was fine. Eventually, Alex Cox was arrested and charged with second-degree aggravated assault and served 90 days in jail. Spoiler alert, you're going to see a pattern here with Alex as our story goes on. Okay, back to Lori and her fourth husband, Charles. Once their custody disputes were all squared away, Charles' ex-wife, Cheryl, was shocked to find out that Lori and Charles had just decided to move to Arizona. Cheryl and her new husband had spent thousands of dollars in their custody dispute with Charles, came to an agreement, and then he was like, just kidding, I'll see them for summers. So Lori and Charles moved with Tylee and Colby to Arizona. Charles was a great stepdad. According to Colby, he was kind and a good father figure. Charles's sons would visit every summer, and their mom, Cheryl, said it was a bit weird when they did visit. They got along with the kids fine, but Lori was, again, kind of odd. Cheryl said, quote, The way that they would describe it is that Dad went to work and Lori would leave. She has never had a job that I've known of, other than being a hairdresser before they were married, but she would leave and go be with her family or do other things, end quote. Nick and Zach weren't little kids. They didn't need to be watched every second, obviously, but it was weird to everyone that Lori didn't seem to interact with them or include them when she would take her own kids to do things. It seems like everyone around this couple was like, hey, Lori's a little odd. And Charles was like, what are you talking about? She's the bomb. I always wonder at what point he started to notice what everyone was talking about. We'll get into that more later. In 2013, Charles and Lori decided to adopt Charles's great nephew, which was his sister Kay's biological grandson. You follow? So many people involved in this story. So Charles and Lori adopted Joshua Vallow, and they called him JJ. JJ fit in great with their family. Lori's daughter, Tylee, absolutely loved him. She was 10 years older than him, and people always described their relationship as super close. Tylee was kind of like a mini mom with JJ. She was very protective and loving, and Charles' sons also loved JJ. His ex-wife, Cheryl, said that the boys loved spending time with him, and it didn't matter to them that he was adopted. He was their brother. At the end of 2014, Charles and Lori moved with Tylee and JJ to Hawaii, where they ran a small juice shop. They only lived there for a couple of years and moved back to Arizona sometime in late 2016 to early 2017. When the family moved back to Arizona, Charles spent thousands of dollars on a specially trained service dog for JJ. JJ had autism, and this dog, a Labradoodle whose name was Bailey, became his absolute best friend and was a huge help and comfort to JJ. It made a really big difference in his life to have this dog, and he was able to be a lot more calm um, and feel safer than he had before having Bailey. According to some of Lori's friends while she was living in Hawaii, she started reading Chad Daybell's books and quickly became obsessed with them. She read all of his books and was very into all of his end-of-days type beliefs. Once the Vals moved back from Hawaii is when things started to kick off and get more and more odd. Okay, let's catch up with Chad Daybell. According to Chad, when he was younger, he had a near-death experience that led him to be able to communicate directly with God. From what I understand, this was something that inspired him to write some of his books. Chad basically began to see himself as a prophet, and Chad and his wife Tammy were members of the LDS Church, but Chad started having his own private sessions that were basically him telling people one-on-one that he was actually the prophet, and he had all of this spiritual knowledge. Yikes, I just... yikes. Okay, so he would share his beliefs about the second coming of Jesus Christ, and he told his followers that it was his job to prepare the 144,000 select people that would basically survive doomsday. We're going to go more down that rabbit hole of what Chad taught his followers in a minute because it's a doozy. It seems like at first, Chad would just kind of have these small one on one conversations or small meetings at his house where he would talk to other people in his church community about his beliefs and his spiritual knowledge. Eventually, he started doing podcasts and bigger conferences. One of these conferences was put together by a group called Preparing a People. I am going to mention that Preparing a People was a pretty intense doomsday prepping group from what I understand, but when everything kind of went insane with Chad and Lori, they were like, no way, you sillies, we were never a group, we just did these conferences and a whole podcast about how great Chad was, but it's not anywhere that you can find, and don't go looking for it. Okay, bye. Paraphrasing, of course, but they did cut all ties with Chad and Lori, eventually. But for a while, they did organize events called Preparing a People that they now describe as, quote, a series of lecture events focusing on self-reliance and personal preparations, end quote. Whatever this event was, Chad was there at the end of 2018 speaking and signing some of his books. Lori attended this conference, and after Chad spoke, she confidently walked up and introduced herself. And surprise, Chad had some very thrilling news for her. According to Chad, they had known each other in many of their past lives and had even been married in some of these past lives, Lori loved it, was like, cool, 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 makes total sense, and the crazy sparks just flying out of control. They were in constant communication after that, and Lori was all in on Chad's beliefs. Uh, she thought he was the bee's knees. <laughs> they eventually started doing some of the Preparing of People podcast together, and Chad would talk about his, quote, visionary gift that he'd received from that near-death experience. And he would tell all of his tales about gathering the 144,000 to get everyone ready for the second coming of Christ. Like I said, since then, all the preparing of people stuff is gone. You can't find the podcast anywhere. And they've made it very clear that they did not have anything to do with Chad and his followers. Uh, When people reference Chad and Lori being in a cult, I don't think this was specifically to do with preparing of people. I think that stuff Chad was teaching was his own personal thing. Of course, everyone that was in this following is like, it's not a cult. But like, does anyone in a cult ever come right out and say that? Okay, let's get on to the teachings of Chad. And you can decide for yourself. So. A few weeks after the conference, in October of 2018, Chad was visiting Arizona to do another conference, and he and a woman named Melanie Gibbs stayed with Lori so that they could all go to this conference together. Melanie was one of Lori's best friends, and while Melanie thought Chad's teachings were a little weird, she still liked him and still hung out with Lori because they made her feel very special and important by telling her that she was part of this very special important 144,000 chosen ones. And she and Lori had obviously known each other in a past life. Which, like, okay, we all have besties who feel like soulmates. I get why she stuck around at first. Kind of. According to Melanie, while she and Chad were staying at Lori's house, uh, Lori's husband Charles was out of town. Chad and Lori would go on these morning jogs together and talk about things, quote, so personal it's hard to share with the world, end quote. Whatever that means. I don't think I want to know what that means. Don't forget... Chad and Lori are both still married to other people at this point, so one day Melanie was like, hey, why don't you guys just get divorced, and instead of doing this creepiness behind their back, you can just be together, paraphrasing of course, to which Lori told her that they weren't allowed to do because of information that they were receiving from, quote, the other side of the veil. At first, Melanie was like, okay, you guys are kind of weird, but it's still okay, but then things started to take a turn. And let me say really quick, Chad and Lori both were members of the LDS church but the things Chad believed in and taught don't follow any of the LDS church guidelines. I just wanna make that clear so that no one is like, have you heard about those crazy Mormons who believe in zombies? What Chad was teaching was the gospel of Chad. So let's, let's get into this. Chad said that he could create portals. He said that he could pray in a certain place in Lori's closet, for example. And if she stood where he like had made this portal and he stood in a portal at his own house, they could connect spiritually sexy sexy Chad also had the ability to see people's past lives and was able to rank people based on their spiritual level he had four pages of lists of biblical apostles the current LDS church leaders celebrities friends and family members and they all had rankings saying how many lives each of them had had and if they were dark or light spirits according to this chart Lori had lived 21 lives and Chad was on his 31st life he'd been very busy They both had five lives on this earth, and Chad was so special that he was considered a holy ghost. Also, remember how Chad had those special visions? Well, wouldn't you know it, he had many dreams and visions that his wife Tammy was going to pass away soon. Ladies, if a man has a wife and is pursuing you and spinning tales about your past lives together and insists, like, don't worry, baby, she's going to die soon, you run, okay? You run like the wind. Lori ran, all right, directly into the arms of Chad. As I'm sure you can imagine, while Chad and Lori are getting closer, Lori's marriage with Charles began to fall apart. I read that Charles was basically trying to do everything he could to make Lori happy, but things were just getting worse and worse and nothing was working. In January of 2019, Chad called Lori one day and was like, bad news, babe, your husband is a zombie. So according to Chad, Charles was now dead and his body was being possessed by a demon named Nick Schneider. And this was when things took a turn from like weird, kooky, Spiritual portals into like terrifying for me, anyways. Uh, on January 28th, 2019, Charles was out of town on a business trip and Lori transferred $10,000 out of his bank account into an unknown account. The following day, on the 29th, she transferred another 25000 out of his account into this unknown account. That same day, Lori called Charles to tell him that she was a translated being which basically means that she is a God now and that she was sent here to gather this 144,000 people for the second coming of Christ, which according to her and Chad would be in June of 2020. She told Charles that if she got, if he got in her way, she would kill him in another phone call. Lori told Charles that she was going to kill him and dispose of his body when he got home from his business trip. And she keeps calling him Nick Schneider. And he finally is like, what are you saying? Why do you keep calling me that? And she informs him that she knows Charles is dead And that Nick Schneider has taken his identity. I honestly think at this point, Charles was probably extremely concerned for his wife's well-being and her mental health because these are not a thing, like, these are not things that a mentally healthy person would be saying. And for one second while I'm telling this story, I actually feel kind of bad for her because clearly she's being brainwashed and she's not thinking clearly. And this person has convinced her that her loved ones are literally turning into zombies but that moment of feeling bad for her is going to pass really quick. (laughs) Let's just move on. So after this whole Nick Schneider, I'm a God conversation, Charles tried to book a flight to get home and Lori somehow canceled that flight. Charles managed to get a new flight. And when he arrived in Arizona, he discovered that his truck was missing from the airport's parking. So he finally gets home. Lori is nowhere to be found. She's taken JJ, who was six years old at this time, and Charles's work laptop and all of his clothes were missing. On January 31st, Charles was really worried about Lori's mental health and so he petitioned for her to be checked into the Community Bridges healthcare facility for a 72-hour hold and evaluation. He also took her purse and wallet out of her car so she wouldn't be able to leave again. And this is a little fuzzy from what I've read. Since she wasn't home when he got there, I'm assuming she came back and then they had this conversation. Either way, Lori realized that her stuff was missing from her car so she went to the police and reported it as stolen. Lori told the police that Charles was lying And that this was all just some kind of weird misunderstanding. They were fighting. Yikes. And the police did encourage her to go to the healthcare facility and explain her side of the story. She went and voluntarily checked herself in, but was only there for a few hours. So I'm assuming that they couldn't force her to stay. And she probably had some story to get out of there because they cleared her and she left. After this, Charles was really upset and his friends and family have said that he was really distraught and worried because she was being so strange. He eventually decided to file for divorce, and I think one big reason was that he was worried about J.J.'s safety. On February 8th, he filed for divorce, and just to sum everything up, here's part of the divorce affidavit. So that affidavit said, quote, Mother, Lori Vallow, has recently become infatuated, at times obsessive, about near-death experiences and spiritual visions. Mother has told father, Charles Vallow, that she is sealed, eternally married, to the ancient Book of Mormon prophet Moroni and that she has lived numerous lives on numerous planets prior to this current life. Mother also believes that she would marry to James the Just in a past life and also lived as Mary French in the 1800s who was Joseph Smith Jr.'s natural grandmother. Mother also informed father that she is a translated being who cannot taste death and was sent by God to lead the 144,000 into the millennium. Mother believes that she is receiving spiritual revelations and visions to help her gather and prepare those chosen to live in the New Jerusalem after the Great War as prophesied in the Book of Revelations. On January 29, 2019, during a phone conversation between the parties and after their physical separation, Mother informed Father that she was a god assigned to carry out the work of the 144,000 at Christ's second coming in July 2020, and that if Father got in her way of her mission, she would murder him. End quote of that affidavit. After the divorce proceedings got started, Lori basically told Charles that she didn't care about him or JJ, and she just pulled a little disappearing act that we will also see happen again later. Just poof, one day, she disappears and flies off to Hawaii. At the end of February 2019, Lori flew off to Kauai and called her friend April Raymond, who she knew from when they lived there before. April said that Lori seemed like a totally different person, and she described Lori as fun, positive, and full of energy. But when she came to visit in 2019, April said that Lori was, quote, very different, very disorganized, and a little manic. Lori also apparently told April that she found out Charles had been cheating on her and that she wanted to file for divorce because of it. April said that she felt weird about that claim because she knew Charles and Lori was making him out to be this awful person. Then Lori went on to tell her all about her new beliefs with Chad and she was like, yikes, something is not okay here. Eventually, Lori did end up going back home to Arizona, but she'd been gone for almost two months, and during that time, Charles had no idea where she'd been. When she got back, Charles decided to drop the divorce and try to make things work. It's hard to figure out exactly when this happened, but eventually Charles rented a townhouse for Lori to live in with Tylee, and um, JJ went back and forth from Charles to Lori. Sometime that spring, Lori told her friend Melanie that, unfortunately, Tylee had also turned into a zombie, according to Chad. Apparently, she'd actually been a zombie since she was 12 or 13 because she'd been, quote, difficult to deal with around then. Sounds like I might have turned into a zombie when I was around 13 too, you know, because it's not like teenagers are just booty. Anyways, things were not improving and Charles sent a friend, or sent a text to a friend in April of 2019 saying that Lori had dramatically changed in the last six months. He said, quote, it's the freakiest thing I've ever experienced. She's with a group of people called Woke and Preparing a People She says an evil spirit named Nick Schneider murdered me, and he's using me to violate her, end quote. Unfortunately, things are going to take a step in an even worse direction. On July 11th, 2019, Charles showed up at Lori's townhouse to pick up JJ. When he got there, Lori, Tylee, JJ, and Lori's brother Alex were all at the house. Allegedly, some kind of fight was happening between Alex and Charles, and at some point during this argument, Lori supposedly left with Tylee and JJ. Alex claims that Charles came at him with a baseball bat and hit him in the back of the head, to which he responded by pulling out a gun and shooting Charles twice in the chest. Five minutes after he shot Charles, waiting for him to really be dead in my opinion, Alex made one of the most uncomfortable 911 calls I have ever had the displeasure of hearing. I hate listening to 911 calls because they're always really upsetting, but this one is upsetting in a different way because Alex is so casual, it's like he's ordering a pizza. He literally calls and in the most bored voice is like, yeah, hi, I shot my brother-in-law. I don't play 911 calls on this podcast, um, so I'll just give you a quick recap. The operator asks if Charles is moving or breathing, and Alex says no. She asks if he wants to try to do CPR, and Alex might as well have been like, no, I shot him on purpose, I don't want to help him, because he's like, I don't know how to do that. In the most irritated voice, as if it's inconvenient for him that this is happening, the operator says that she can help him through it, and he doesn't even really try. It's so weird, and there is absolutely no emotion in his voice. He's not worried or concerned at all. Unfortunately, Charles was dead by the time the ambulance got there, and Alex still stuck with his story saying that Charles attacked him. In one of the articles I read, Cheryl, who is Charles's ex-wife, said, quote, Charles was a semi-pro baseball player. If he hit Alex in the head with a bat, he would be dead, but Charles is not a violent person, End quote. She also went on to say that in all the years that she knew Charles, even through their divorce, he never did anything violent. So if he actually had hit Alex with a bat, she believed it would have been in self-defense. Along with Alex having zero issues with the fact that he just shot and killed his brother-in-law, Lori is also completely calm and acting like a total weirdo. Alex and Lori's stories kept changing, and it was hard for the police to tell if Lori was there or not when this attack happened because at first, Lori was defending her brother. Excuse me, (laughs) I'm jumbles there. She was defending her brother and saying that she saw the fight. And it was self-defense. And then in another story, she wasn't there. And in this body cam footage from the officers that arrived, Lori is seen smiling and basically joking with this officer that she's talking to. She says, quote, We just moved here. That's why the neighbors don't know us. I'm like, hi, neighbors. Sorry. End quote. She also told police that Charles had anger management issues. Lie. And that he had gotten into a physical fight with her oldest son, Colby, when he was about 16. Lie. She's just lying. By all other accounts, Charles was not violent and was a great stepdad and father figure to Lori's kids. Colby had no issues and had never gotten a fight with him. I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt because no one knows how they're going to react in a time of trauma, but like maybe making jokes when your brother just shot and killed your husband at your house is not. Like I said, you never know how you'll handle trauma and sometimes people do get uncomfortable and they laugh or they make jokes when they shouldn't be because they're like traumatized and in shock. But I think it's pretty safe to say that the average human with even half a heart wouldn't throw a barbecue pool party the day your husband was killed. Yep, you heard me correctly. Neighbors said that they heard a party happening at Lori's house that same evening. Like, oh, we already had plans. We can't let a little murder rain on our parade. Who wants a hot dog? What? Also, JJ was only seven years old, had just lost his dad in a really extremely traumatic way, and you're not even trying to comfort him? Tylee was 16 at this time, and I'm sure she knew that her mom was losing it. I can't even imagine how stressful it would be as a 16-year-old knowing that you are basically the only person who's going to take care of your little brother. It's just awful. Police also decided that the shooting was self-defense on Alex's end, and he didn't face any charges. So just for the count, that's two of Lori's husbands that were attacked by her brother. Of course, Lori's weirdness doesn't stop there. Uh, First of all, she told Colby, who was moved out and married at this point, that Charles had died from a heart attack. It wasn't until later when he went to Lori's house to comfort his mom and basically pulled it out of her that he found out what actually happened. Colby was extremely upset by this, and he said that he didn't care what happened between Charles and Alex. Charles didn't desi- deserve to die for whatever it was. Also in the most upsetting and insensitive move, she sent a text to Charles's two sons, who were obviously also adults at this point, and told them, quote, "'Hi, boys. I have very sad news. Your dad passed away yesterday.' I'm working on making arrangements, and I'll keep you informed with what's going on. I'm still not sure how to handle things. Just want you to know that I love you, and so did your dad. And then she ended it with a stupid red heart emoji, as if that's helpful. Oh, I'm sorry. What, you had to wait until the next day to tell his kids? Because you, what, didn't want to break away from your pool party? This woman is infuriating. So the boys were, of course, distraught, and tried calling her multiple times, and she wouldn't answer, and she wouldn't reply to any of their texts. Charles' family was still living in Texas, where they had previously lived, so no one was able to get to her in person and basically shake her and find out what was going on. They were asking her, of course, where was she? What happened? How was J.J.? She didn't reply for hours, and the boys were getting more and more angry, rightly so. Finally, she replied and said, quote, "'I'm sorry you are so upset. I am so upset, too. I am trying to get J.J. ready for bed. "'I'm waiting to hear back from the medical examiner to make sense of this myself.'" Please be patient with me. It's a crushing situation all the way around. I'm still trying to process it too and what it means for JJ. End quote. Really? You're just going to lie and say that you're waiting for the medical examiner to tell you what happened? She knew what happened. Then she basically ghosted them for three days. They kept trying to call and were texting demanding to know what happened and where their dad's body was. In my opinion, they handled themselves so well because if it were me, I would have been sending lots of swear words, but they held it together really well. Basically, they just said to Lori that they deserved answers. They were close with their dad and they should be in the loop for his funeral arrangements. They were worried about Colby, Tylee, and JJ, and they wanted to have some of his watches and mementos sent to him, or sent to them. Lori didn't plan a funeral or do anything to help Charles's family plan one, and Charles's sister Kay and her husband Larry, who remember are JJ's biological grandparents, put together a memorial and begged Lori to bring JJ, but the Ice Queen, of course, did not take JJ to the memorial or let him see his grandparents. Charles was cremated, and shockingly, she did send his ashes to Kay and Larry. And once they found out what actually happened—that Alex had killed him—everyone in Charles's family believed his death, death was carefully planned. This idea was confirmed when Lori called to collect Charles's million-dollar life insurance just four days after he died. But big surprise to Lori, Charles had changed his beneficiary to his sister uh, because he'd removed Lori from the life insurance months earlier when he'd originally filed for divorce. Since his attorney was like, hey bro, this chick's crazy, it's probably a good idea if you take her off your life insurance. Uh, Lori didn't know about this, so maybe if Lori had known that there was no money in it for her, maybe Charles could have survived, but that seems unlikely because she was pretty set on making that happen, in my opinion. (laughs) Oh, I was just listening back uh, to make sure that audio was sounding okay, and I realized I sound very heated. And that's because I get very heated when I talk about garbage human beings, and if, listen... If this was a conversation that you and I were having over a cup of coffee, we would both be yelling about the insanity. I'm going to try to try to remain calm as we move on with our story. Lori is just doing the most at this point, and she throws another horrible wrench into things and decides to sell JJ's beloved and very much needed, especially at this point, service dog Bailey. On August 9th, twenty nineteen, Lori listed JJ's specially trained service dog for sale online for twenty five hundred dollars. This is a dog that went through hours and hours of training, and Charles spent thousands of dollars on getting this dog to help JJ. But Lori's like, no more, putting him up for sale. The dog's original trainer luckily found out about Lori trying to sell the dog and brought Bailey, or bought Bailey back from her. And according to this trainer, and from what I've read, this dog was a huge source of comfort and helped JJ so much. The trainer said that the first night Bailey slept in JJ's room was the first night he'd stayed asleep in his own bed. This makes me, like, weirdly emotional. It makes me so mad that Lori would try to sell this dog. So the trainer saw the sale listing and called Lori and told her that he would happily just take the dog back. And Lori told them that there had been a tragedy in their family and he needed to pick up Bailey immediately because they were moving to Idaho. The following day, on August 10th, J.J. was allowed to have a FaceTime call with his grandma, Kay. And according to Kay, the FaceTime lasted for 35 seconds and then suddenly Lori was just unreachable. Sadly, that would be the last time that Kay would hear from J.J. A few weeks later, Lori packed up her things, pulled JJ out of school, and Tylee was 17 at this point, and at first, she was going to stay in Arizona and live with a friend for the rest of her high school, and she actually ended up deciding that she couldn't just let JJ go without her, and just have Lori to depend on, because Lori was like, hi, going a little cuckoo at this point. So, there's no way to tell this for sure, but I think that it's safe to assume that Tylee was well aware of the fact that Lori was losing it, and being extremely irrational, and it makes me really sad that 17 year old Tylie was put into a position where she was the only rational adult in the situation at first Lori was telling people that they were going to idaho because her daughter was going to school there so they moved to be closer to her just a bold-faced lie but you can't guess what the catapult that got her to move to idaho was ding 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 mr chad daybell told her that he had received spiritual revelation that she should move to idaho because of course they needed to finish their mission of ridding the world of zombies And Chad and Lori knew exactly how many zombies were in each state and knew how to get rid of them. Every time I try to say that out loud, it sounds more and more ridiculous, but here we are. Don't forget, Chad was still married to Tammy Daywell at this time. But don't worry, he was having dreams and prophecies that she was going to die in a car crash soon, remember? So he's like, Lori, baby, it's all good. Come get this spiritual D. Yikes-a-bikes. On her way out of town, Lori stopped to visit her son Colby at work and let him know, surprise, we're moving, She didn't tell him specifically where they were going, just that she got a new job out of town and had to move immediately. Once they arrived in Idaho, JJ was enrolled in elementary school and eventually Lori's brother, Alex, also moved to Idaho into the same apartment complex where Lori was living with Tylee and JJ. On September 9th, 2019, Lori, Alex, Tylee, and JJ visited Yellowstone National Park. There were photos on Lori's iCloud storage and from the security camera at the front gate of the National Park showing that they all were there. However, after this trip, Tylee stopped communicating with friends and family, and this was the last confirmed sighting of Tylee. Lori's friend Melanie Gibb and her boyfriend visited Lori in Idaho on September 19th, and while she was there, Lori informed her that, unfortunately, just like Tylee, J.J. had also turned into a zombie. On the 22nd, uh, Melanie saw Alex carrying J.J., who looked like he was asleep out of the apartment, and this was the last verifiable sighting of J.J., and when Melanie's boyfriend asked where J.J. was the next day, Lori had a totally reasonable explanation, he was acting like a zombie, so Alex took him. JJ attended, which, by the way, at this point, no one thought it was important to maybe, like, put up a red flag, put up an alert, call the police, nothing. They just were like, oh, okay, sounds good. So JJ attended elementary school in Idaho for just three weeks before Lori called and unenrolled him on September 24th. First, she told the school that JJ was going to live with his grandparents, but later she said that she had decided to homeschool him. Either way, JJ stopped attending elementary school, and since Lori was covering her tracks with excuses for why, again, no alarm bells were raised because the school didn't know that anything was up. They just knew he wasn't coming to school anymore, but they had been told a somewhat reasonable reason for why. Anyways, keep those last two sightings of Tylee and JJ in your back pocket for later because there's some very telling things attached to those specific dates. We'll get into it in a moment. Now that Chad and Lori are in the same state, everything starts heating up really quickly. Tylee and JJ are nowhere to be found, but that won't be reported for quite a while. Alex is all in with their schemes, and they're recruiting new members to this cult. I mean, zombie fighting squad. Um, But there's just one little problem. They can't be together because Chad is still married to Tammy. One could argue that Chad could just get a divorce like a normal person, but let's face it, Chad's not a normal person. Plus, his special prophecy powers have told him that Tammy's going to die anyways. So. And wouldn't you know it, crazy coincidence, someone attempted to attack Tammy right around that same time. Weird. On October 9th, 2009, Tammy was taking groceries into her house when a masked man ran up and pointed what she thought was a paintball gun at her. The man pulled the trigger several times, but nothing happened. She started yelling at him what was going on and yelled for Chad, and this man ran away. Tammy called and reported it to Fremont County Sheriff's Office, who, in my opinion, were completely unhelpful because they didn't try to look more into what was going on and told Tammy it was most likely a prank because, you know, ha ha, it's such a fun prank when some weirdo in a mask points a gun at you in your driveway. I doubt I'm the only one who thinks it's possible that this was a planned murder attempt, and I highly doubt that it was a paintball gun, just my opinion. Unfortunately, 10 days later, on October 19th, Tammy was found dead in their home. According to Chad, Tammy had gone to bed the night before with a terrible cough and just never woke up. She was only 49 years old, perfectly healthy by all other accounts, died suddenly in her sleep, but it was ruled natural causes and Chad didn't want them to perform an autopsy. Which, doesn't it seem like there should be some kind of rule about autopsies being performed when people just die out of nowhere? Like, Chad was just like, no, don't worry. I prophesied that this would happen, so we don't need to know what happened here. I just can't stand it. Later, when police began looking into all of these weird deaths and disappearances surrounding Chad and Lori, They found that on October 2nd, a week before Tammy was cornered by that masked man, there was an engagement ring ordered from Chad's Amazon account, and Lori's search history showed that she'd been looking at wedding dresses. So, you can make what you want of that load of crap. Chad received $430,000 from Tammy's life insurance at the end of October, and on November 5th, 2019, just a couple weeks after Tammy died, Chad and Lori flew off to Kauai and got married on the beach. They were smiling and laughing and having a grand old time. They both wore casual all-white outfits, and there's a photo of Chad playing the ukulele while Lori giggles without a care in the world. Death and missing children who tune into zombies just simply cannot hold back their love. Barf. After this, they told people that Tylee had actually died two years earlier in 2017, and that Lori had no minor children because they are garbage human beings. Okay, it's time to introduce two other passengers who have also recently boarded the crazy train being conducted by Chad Daybell. Lori was really close with her niece, Melanie Bordeaux, not to be confused with her best friend, Melanie Gibb. So niece Melanie was also now a big fan of Lori's new spiritual beliefs and was all on board with the zombies, the spiritual closet portals, the end of days stuff, all the things. After a few months of hanging out with Lori, Melanie gets the very unfortunate news that also her husband, Brandon, has been turned into a zombie. Yikes. So that meant that she needed to get away from him ASAP. Melanie's husband, Brandon, was shocked when she said that she wanted a divorce in June of 2019. They had four kids together, and he thought that they were really happy and everything had been fine. And it's hard to find exactly what went down between Brandon and Melanie because there are so many bits and pieces scattered uh, between a ton of different articles. But from what I understand, Melanie and Brandon started on this insane custody battle... And one day, Melanie basically just disappeared into the night and left to go live in Idaho to be closer to Lori. It was really hard for me to find out if she took her kids with her at first, uh, but then later on, it sounded like they eventually kind of went into hiding to get away from Melanie, so we'll get into that in just a second. On October 2nd, 2019, just one week before that masked man pointed a gun at Tammy Daybell, Brandon experienced a very similar attack. Brandon was outside his house in Gilbert, Arizona when he saw a Jeep pull up, and then a gun with a silencer poked out of the back window. A shot was fired that luckily missed Brandon, but it hit his car and missed him just by a couple of inches. Brandon obviously reported this attack to police, and it was put together pretty quickly that the Jeep that Brandon saw was registered in Charles Vala's name. After Charles died, Tylee would sometimes drive this Jeep, but obviously since Tylee hadn't been seen in weeks, it's safe to assume that this driver was probably Alex. Allegedly. Allegedly. Okay? Brandon went into hiding, uh, with his kids at this point, and he was afraid of Lori's Colton. and what they could possibly do to him, since he probably knew everything that had happened with everyone else's spouses. He also said that he believed that it was Alex who attempted to kill him because his divorce from Melanie wasn't finalized at that point, so she would gain a million dollar life insurance if he died. Pretty safe to assume, considering the bodies are stacking up at this point, you know? Like I said, Melanie left town and was like, of course, don't be insane, you sillies, Alex would never do that. Okay, sure. On her way to Idaho, uh, Melanie was actually arrested and charged with criminal trespassing when she was spotted on Brandon's parents' property in American Fork, Utah, on November 14th, 2019. She was released that same day and headed on to Idaho to really get in touch with her weirdness. As soon as Melanie moved to Idaho, she was assigned a boyfriend. I mean, she began dating a man named Ian, who Chad and Lori just happened to introduce her to. And two weeks later, at the end of November, they took a trip to Vegas and got married. Love was just in the air that weekend because, also, Lori's brother Alex got married in Vegas the day before Melanie and Ian. Alex married a woman named Zulema, who was also assigned to him. I mean, introduced to him because she was a friend of Lori and Chad and was a big fan of Chad's work. Uh, The person who performed this ceremony said that it didn't seem happy or exciting for them. It seemed like this marriage was just a business transaction, almost as if it were arranged. Hashtag just culty things. So, Alex and Zulema got married Ian and Melanie got married, but Chad and Lori were not at their beautiful ceremonies because by this point, they were on the run. This brings us all the way back to the beginning of our story, November 26th, 2019. Police showed up at Chad and Lori's home to do a welfare check on Tylee and JJ because no one had seen or heard from them in months. According to Chad and Lori, the kids were in Arizona with friends and relatives. Obviously, the police looked into this and very quickly discovered that they were definitely not there. At this same time, Chad called their friend Melanie Gibb, so not niece Melanie, this is friend Melanie again, to ask just a little, just a tiny helpful favor. According to Melanie, Chad called her and sounded really worried and upset and said, quote, when the police call, don't pick up. And Melanie, of course, was like, um, excuse me. Chad told her that the police were looking for JJ. And at this point, Melanie was under the impression that JJ had gone to live with Kay because Lori said that JJ had turned into a zombie and was standing in the way of their mission and she needed him out of the house, so she was sending him to live with his grandparents. Melanie thought that that checked out. She thought he was living with his grandparents, and so when Chad said this, she was completely shocked, but she didn't initially call the police. However, a few days later, Lori gave her a call, and she said Lori sounded cheerful and totally fine, and is like, this is all just so silly. I just need you to do me a quick favor. Just tell the police that JJ is with you. And she even went as far as suggesting that Melanie should go to the movie theater and take a picture of some random kids and say it was a picture of JJ at the theater because she had taken him to see Frozen 2. The intricate lies that this woman comes up with are just something else. Melanie was starting to worry, but she didn't want to believe that her friend could have done something to harm JJ, but she had this horrible gut feeling and finally decided that she was going to call the police. Yes, girl. (laughs) I've seen people give Melanie Gibb a lot of crap for not doing something sooner, And she has said herself that she is incredibly naive, and at this point, she just was like, thought that Chad and Lori knew everything, and she thought that she was following them, and that they were on the right track, but she did come forward, so I know that it seems like she took a long time, and it seems ridiculous, but on the outside, it's very easy to say that. Um, If you've ever been in a situation where someone has convinced you of something, and you're being gaslit, etc., we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but... Thanks to Melanie coming forward, she was able to give them all of this information. And had she not done that, they, who knows if they would have ever figured out all of this craziness with the cult and all of their beliefs and then possibly, which led to other things later we're going to talk about. (laughs) So the police, um, had been looking into the story that JJ and Tylee were in Arizona. Obviously they were not in Arizona. So the following day on November 27th, police showed up at Chad and Lori's house and were told by neighbors that they had abruptly left. And that Tylee and JJ definitely were not seen with them. As we have seen Lori do before, she just poof, flew right away. No one had any idea where Chad and Lori went. Obviously, they were being suspicious AF, so the police started doing some digging, including looking into Tammy's death that they now said was suspicious. 100% correct, it was very suspicious. Like we talked about before, while Chad and Lori were in hiding, Melanie and Ian and Alex and Zulema got married in Vegas in the days following Chad and Lori's disappearing act. Something else very strange happened when, not even two weeks later, Alex was found dead at Zulema's house. Zulema's son found him passed out in their bathroom, covered in vomit and feces, and his death was ruled natural and attributed to blood clots in his lungs and high blood pressure. A lot of people, uh, including myself, kind of, find this timing very odd and very suspicious, and it seems like all of these deaths are being ruled natural around these people, it's just another one of those things that adds so much weirdness to this story. And if he did die of natural causes, like, what are the, what are the chances? What, are the, what a coincidence. So, let's move on. A couple of weeks went by, and on December 20th, police announced to the public that Tylee and JJ were missing and asked that anyone with any kind of information to come forward. The next day, police announced that Chad and Lori were officially persons of interest in their disappearance. Of course, Chad and Lori had people defending them. And on December 23rd, an attorney put out a statement on their behalf that said, quote, Chad Daybell was a loving husband and has the support of his children in this matter. Lori Daybell is a devoted mother and resents assertions to the contrary. We look forward to addressing the allegations once they have moved beyond speculation and rumor. Yeah. Okay. It's just laughable to me. On December 30th, uh, police also released a statement saying that they were concerned for Tylee and JJ's safety and worried that they were in danger. They said that Lori was being uncooperative and had fled the state, and all the alarm bells are going off. Everyone is pointing fingers at Chad and Lori. Meanwhile, they still have some of their followers defending them, and people were coming forward saying that there was no way Lori and Chad had hurt the children, and people were speculating that maybe they were in some kind of underground bunker somewhere being protected from the coming end of the world. On January 3rd, 2020, police were able to get a search warrant for Chad and Lori's property. Chad and Lori were still missing at this point. They had no idea where they were. But they searched the house and a shed and barn on the property. They took notebooks, computers, cell phones, and a ton of different documents. These items were all carefully examined and painted a pretty obvious picture of what was happening. Let's just talk about a list of things that are coming out as police are digging through the mess that Lori and Chad have left in their wake. First of all, it was discovered that Lori had rented a storage unit back on October 1st. This was discovered when she failed to make the rental payment, so police were called. Inside the storage unit were items that belonged to Tylee and JJ. There were pictures and mementos that were described in one article as things you'd grab in a fire. So these were meaningful, important items of Tylee and JJ's, not just, like, random junk. Police were able to get a surveillance footage from this storage unit and saw nine different visits um, to Lori's storage unit. Sometimes it was Lori and Chad, sometimes Lori and Alex, and sometimes just one of them on their own. On the day that someone attempted to murder Melanie's ex-husband, Brandon... There is a video clip of Chad and Lori carrying a tire and a removable car seat into the storage unit. This is very significant because the Jeep that Alex drove, the one that was spotted by Brandon, had a spare tire on the back that made it so the rear door couldn't open if it was on. And if he were allegedly going to crouch in the back seat and allegedly point a gun out the back, the seat and that tire would need to be moved. The following day, there's footage of Alex visiting the storage unit alone and picking up the tire and the car seat to be put back into the Jeep, allegedly. Did I do that correctly? At first, Melanie was standing up for Alex. They had been very close, and she said that he had nothing to do with the attempt to shoot Brandon, because Alex had been with her. And he couldn't be in Idaho and Arizona at the same time. Remember, their portals were only spiritual portals, not actual portals. So he couldn't have been in both places. But police were able to determine that it was Chad and Lori who visited the storage unit that day, not Chad and Alex. So it's strongly believed that Alex could have been in Arizona that day, allegedly. Am I doing that right? I'm not trying to get sued. Alleged. It's all alleged. Let's also talk about Alex's cell phone records. So remember a while back when I told you to keep the dates Tylee and JJ were last seen in your back pocket for later? Well, it's later. Tylee was last seen on September 8th, 2019. The following day, Alex went to Lori's apartment at 3 a.m., and then a phone ping placed him at Chad Daybell's house in their family's pet cemetery, which is just a yikes on its own, right? That same night, Chad's neighbor reported hearing a gunshot. Chad, always covering his back, texted his wife Tammy on September 9th at 11.53 a.m. and said, quote, "'Well, I've had an interesting morning. I felt I should burn all the limb debris by the fire pit, and it got too soaked by the coming storms. While I did so, I spotted a big raccoon along the fence. I hurried and got my gun, and he was still walking along.' I got close enough to, the, to that one. Wait, what? I got close enough that that one shot did the trick. He is now in our pet cemetery. Fun times. Uh, that text just drives me nuts. If that's any indication of how his books are written, I just, I can't. Um, now that we are, like, hindsight, it's very easy to tell that that text was very much overplayed and was very much an excuse to be like, here's why there was a gunshot, here's why I was burying something. And later police did say that, this text compared to the way that Tammy and Chad normally texted was very odd because their text conversations were usually very quick, very short. Like there was no reason for him to send her this paragraph telling this tale of the raccoon that he found in the backyard. Anyways, let's move on. As for the last day that JJ was seen, which was September September 22nd, 2019, Melanie Gibbs saw Alex carry JJ, who appeared to be asleep out of Lori's apartment. Lori said that JJ was climbing the walls literally climbing the walls and knocking pictures of jesus over which meant that he was definitely a zombie so alex had to take him away around 10 a.m the following day a ping on alex's phone placed him at chad daybell's house again near a pond on his property that doesn't seem like a coincidence to me but you'll see in a second i keep doing that to you i'm sorry i keep saying we'll see a lot unfolds a lot unfolds let's move on two months after they jumped ship police were finally able to locate chad and laurie in Kauai. Of course, because it was Lori's favorite hideout, when she's in a pickle, that's where they went. On January 25th, 2020, Lori and Chad were served with a court order that required them to, quote, "...physically produce Tylee and JJ to the Idaho Department of Welfare in Rexburg, Idaho, or to the Rexburg police within five days of being served the order." End quote. I remember when that happened, and I remember being like, yeah, right, these people are nuts, they are not going to follow this, they are not going to show up with these kids. During this five-day period, there were reporters flocking to this resort where Chad and Lori were staying just still enjoying their vacation in the sun and asking them, like, where are your kids? What did you do to them? I remember seeing one video where this reporter is following Chad and Lori and he says something like, the whole country is worried about your kids. And Lori, cold as ice, says, that's nice. It's awful. As you guessed, and by absolutely no surprise to anyone, Chad and Lori did not bring the kids to the police within that five-day time. They missed their court date that was scheduled for January 30th. Two weeks later, on February 16th, Melanie's husband, Ian, gave his ex-wife a computer. And this is just me speculating that I this is just a guess on my part. But it seems like Ian was starting to kind of freak out. He married into this situation. And his new wife was talking about zombies and the end of the world. And he knows what happens to people's spouses who get in the way of their mission. So, he allegedly, maybe, was really terrified to come forward, but he gave this computer to his ex-wife that has documents outlining Chad and Lori's beliefs, the zombies, the dark spirits taking over the Idaho Police Department, all of this stuff. Uh, If I understand correctly, it sounds like Ian's ex-wife gave this info to Melanie's ex-husband, Brandon, and Brandon was able to take this stuff to his own attorneys and keep that information, like, rolling out against Chad and Lori. I hope that's making sense. There are so many hands in the pie at this point, it's hard to, to track. Um, So finally, on February 20th, Lori was arrested in Princeville, Hawaii and charged with two counts of felony child desertion as well as misdemeanor charges of resisting and obstructing an officer, solicitation of a crime, and contempt. Uh, She was being held on a $5 million bond, which seems smart because they knew that this woman was obviously a flight risk. Then she had to wait to be extradited back to Idaho. Lori requested multiple times for the bail to be lowered, and she was denied over and over. Yay, everybody. On March 4th, Lori was extradited back to Idaho and escorted immediately to the Madison County Jail. On March 6th, she appeared in court in Idaho where she is read her charges and a court date is set. Her bail was lowered from $5 million down to $1 million, which personally I think is fine. I think that it's the million dollar bail was never going to happen anyways. And you've probably seen them, but the photos of Lori from that first day in court Make my blood boil every time I see them. In every picture, she's got this little smirk on her face. Like, she just thinks she's so much smarter than everyone. And she's in the courtroom with, like, beach-waved hair and freaking Taylor Swift red lipstick on. It's just... (laughs) it's unbelievable. On March 13th, Lori has another hearing where she was assigned a new judge and two of her three attorneys resigned. That's pretty telling, in my opinion. Also, during this time, no one would help her as far as bail bondsmen go or, like, bail bonds companies... Everyone, I think, was just so mad at her that no one wanted to help her out. And anyone who did help her out was probably going to get a lot of crap for it. So they would not lower her bail and no one would help her. On April 10th, um, oh, sorry, rewind. So this whole time, Lori's been doing the court stuff. She's been waiting in jail. And Chad was still just free as a bird and spent a ton of time talking to Lori while she was waiting for her trial. On April 10th, Lori was once again denied having a lower bail. I believe it was four times now that they were like, Lori, no, you're not going home. Let's not forget, this was also during the time when everything started popping off with COVID, things were starting to shut down, everything was hitting the fan. Lori's attorney was making arguments that she was not being treated fairly and she should be allowed a lower bail, basically so that she wouldn't have to be in jail during a pandemic, to which I say, maybe don't lie about your children's whereabouts and then flee the state. Like, shouldn't Chad's visions have warned you about a worldwide pandemic? Anyways... Um, At this April 10th hearing, the Idaho Attorney General took over Lori's case and announced that this case has now switched from a missing, missing persons case to a murder case, and that Chad and Lori are also being investigated on conspiracy to murder Tammy Daybell. So around this time, people were freaking out. The public was pissed. Everyone was ready to burn these two at the stake because they still would not say where these kids were or what happened. And of course, there were still people who were coming forward, backing Chad and Lori, And that was including Melanie and Ian. Back in December when the kids were first missing, Ian was apparently getting very concerned about Chad and Lori's beliefs. And he felt like they knew where these kids were and he was concerned that something had happened to them. And at first he was cooperating with police and he tried to, like, do a wire for them so that they could get information from Melanie on a recording, etc. But then it seems like he pretty quickly was like, never mind. I spoke too soon. I misunderstood something. There's nothing going on, from what I understand. He kind of flip-flopped, which I don't blame him because he's in the middle of all of this and it probably was horrifying. Um, But also, like, just then get out of there. I don't know. None of my business. Moving on. In May of 2020, Ian and Melanie did an interview with the East Idaho News. Their lawyers were present for this interview and you can go and watch it. I think there are actually, like, two interviews that they did. I'm not going to go too in-depth because it was mostly just them defending Chad and Lori and saying that it was ridiculous that anyone would say that they could hurt their children. And that the kids were fine. And if Lori and Chad said that the kids are okay, then they're okay. Which we know is not true. Lori's mom also came forward and defended her saying that it was impossible that Lori could ever hurt her children. There was one other woman who came forward that was one of Chad's followers who came to their defense and wanted to inform everyone that she also had her own visions. And she had seen that the children were safe. Apparently this woman was one of Chad's followers who had also had a near-death experience just like Chad and now she could have visions and prophecies etc and years earlier when Chad was having his whole I'm having visions that Tammy's gonna die in a car crash this woman was saying that she was apparently having the same visions and that's how they connected and that's how she knew that the kids were okay because she had a vision that the children were safe so I mean case closed right? I remember when all of this was unfolding and Chad and Lori were like, you guys, the world is going to end on July 22nd, so nothing matters. And for a while, I was like, they must just think that nothing can touch them because they genuinely think that the world is going to end. And then, you know, 2020 was bananas and one insane thing after another kept happening. And then we had that whole thing with the murder hornets. And for like a split second, I was like, well, damn, maybe they're onto something here. Uh, Obviously, we're still here. So that was incorrect. But I think for a while, a lot of people really were keeping up this hope that maybe Tylee and JJ were just hidden in a bunker somewhere, and maybe all of this was just to do with their doomsday beliefs and the kids actually were safe, but um, obviously that is not how things turned out. It was extremely sad because Lori's oldest son, Colby, was basically publicly begging his mom to come forward and say what happened to his siblings. Colby didn't even know anything was going on until two detectives showed up to question him in November. They came to his house to see if Tylee and JJ were there, and he was shocked So he called Lori to see what was going on and she allegedly told him, quote, I got it. I'll take care of it. I love you. Almost a month later, Colby saw a news article about Tylee and JJ missing and then saw all the stuff that was happening with uh, Chad and Lori, like flying off to Hawaii. He found out about this storage unit with all their stuff in it. So again, he tried to contact Lori to find out what the hell was happening and her phone number was disconnected. So he has no idea what's going on. It was just awful. It was so sad to like have to watch him go through that. So many people in Tylee and JJ's lives obviously loved them and were so worried about them, and Chad and Lori didn't give a crap about anyone but themselves. A couple more months went by. Lori was still waiting in jail for her trial, and Chad was just kind of out and about doing his thing. Finally, a search warrant was granted to start digging up Chad's property, and on June 9th, 2020, Tylee and JJ's remains were found. I know that this was so devastating to so many people, and a lot of people really were holding out hope that they were just hidden somewhere safe, and, um... So remember earlier, we talked about those two dates that Alex's cell phone pinged on Chad's property? That coincidence with the two dates that Tylee and JJ were last seen, which was not a coincidence at all. I I don't want to go into too much detail. You can do your own investi-googling if you want to know more, but Tylee's remains were found partially burned and found in the pet cemetery on Chad's property. He had sent that stupid text explaining that he had shot that raccoon months earlier, uh, the day that Tylee was last seen. There was no raccoon found buried there, so we can probably guess what happened. JJ's body was found wrapped in plastic and duct tape and buried near the pond on Chad's property. These people are just unbelievable, (laughs) and I can't can't talk about that part anymore. Um, These kids deserved so much better, and people were concerned about them and loved them and would have taken them if Chad and Lori were going to murder them. And I just think it's disgusting that they have acted the the way that they have. Okay, moving on. Um, During the search... Chad was on the property basically just watching, and then he was immediately taken in for questioning and eventually arrested for two felony counts involving concealment of human remains. The following day on June 10th, Chad had his first court hearing, and his bail was also set at $1 million. His lawyer honestly had the balls to be like, but that's not fair, his bail should be lowered. And then goes on to say that there's nothing in his past that would prove that he's a flight risk. Which is kind of funny, since he literally disappeared for two months before Lori was arrested when police were looking for Tylee and JJ, but okay. Sure. Chad's lawyer, John Pryor, uh, tried to argue that the bail was too high because his charges were only for tampering with or concealing evidence, and that it was unfair to assume that it was going to lead to bigger charges down the road. Which, again, seriously, dude, it wasn't like he was hiding drugs or, like, a possible murder weapon. It was two sets of human remains found buried on his property. It's pretty safe to assume that, yeah, bigger charges were probably on the way. Thankfully, no one was buying that and he wasn't granted a lower bail. Over the next couple of months, Chad and Lori moved to a joint trial since they were basically being charged for the same things. um, It was going to be easier to just do it that way. They also tried to get the trial moved out of Fremont County where they were being held because they thought it would be difficult to find an unbiased jury. Pretty sure at this point it's a national case, so they could take it anywhere and not find a completely unbiased jury, but they were trying their best, I suppose. They both tried, of course, to—or they both, of course, pled not guilty— Uh, to all of the charges against them. And then in August of 2020, Chad's attorney tried to get the whole case against Chad dismissed. Again, seriously? His argument that there wasn't enough evidence against Chad for him to be brought up on these charges. So I'll let you form your own opinion on that one. On November 5th, 2020, some new evidence against Lori was brought forward by Annie Cushing, who was Lori's third husband, Joseph Ryan's sister. Joseph Ryan was Tylee's biological dad and he actually passed away in 2018 from what was ruled as a heart attack. However, at the end of 2020, Annie got a recording that was taken a few months after Joseph's death from an unnamed source that had some very big red flags against Lori. Just a reminder, Lori and Joseph had a huge custody battle over Tylee that that lasted years after their divorce and Alex used a stun gun on Joseph and then he ended up serving time for it. So in this recording, it's about 40 minutes long, And Lori is heard basically justifying means for murdering someone. This recording was taken from a meeting of Chad's group of friends who all shared his same beliefs about zombies and followed all of his rules to a T. At this meeting, Lori is heard talking about her relationship with Joseph, and I'm just going to share three different quotes from this recording. So, quote number one. I was going to murder him. I was going to kill him like the scriptures say. Like Nephi, who was a Book of Mormon prophet killed someone just to stop the pain and to stop him coming after me and stop him coming after my children, end quote. Quote number two, I would go through the scriptures and find all the things if he comes against you once, if he comes against you twice, if he comes against you three times, then you can kill him. It says it in the scriptures, end quote. Quote number three, I did not have a murderous heart. I just wanted to stop the bleeding and stop the pain. I was like, I'm either going to turn my life into the temple or I'm going to commit murder, end quote. Lori has alleged that Joseph was violent toward her, and she tried to justify that if she had decided to murder him, it would be fine because all of these things she read in the scriptures, which I'm pretty sure it's like number one rule, thou shalt not kill, but this was Lori's own interpretation of what she was reading. As part of the investigation, they did re-examine Joseph Ryan's remains and determined that he did die of natural causes. Innocent until proven guilty, and I don't want to accuse anyone of anything they didn't do, but Tammy Daybell's death was also ruled as natural causes, and so is Alex's. Again, just seems like a lot of coincidences, but you know, sometimes these things actually do happen. Just speculation. We're going to leave that alone. As you probably know, these kinds of cases can take months or even years to actually go to trial and have formal convictions. There's a lot of moving parts, especially in this one, so things are still in the works, but let's talk about a few updates as of April 2021, which is when I'm recording this. First of all, Tammy Daybell's body was exhumed for further investigation, and in an article from February fourth, twenty twenty-one, the Fremont County Sheriff's Department said in a press conference that they have the results of Tammy's autopsy and they will not be releasing them since they're part of an ongoing investigation, which I think is interesting and kind of telling because they were really quick to say that Joseph Ryan's death was natural, as well as Alex Cox's death that they also looked into, but they're not releasing the autopsy from Tammy's auto- or the information from Tammy's autopsy. I don't want to assume anything since there have been no more updates on the cause of Tammy's death, but that is suspicious and something that will be interesting to see how that all plays out. The prosecuting attorney, Rob Wood, said that they are looking to file conspiracy to commit murder against Chad and Lori, and at first he said that the death penalty wasn't something he wanted to pursue, but that it wasn't off the table. In March of 2021, Rob Wood requested to have a Missouri special prosecutor named Rachel Smith added to his case. Rachel Smith has experience with death penalty cases, so... Who knows what that means? We'll see. Chad and Lori have both had their preliminary hearings, and their joint court date is scheduled for July of 2021. Until then, we just wait. I think that they originally had something scheduled at the beginning of the year, but then it was pushed um, to July. So we will see. This case is insane and, most of all, incredibly heartbreaking for all of the families involved. For the most part, family and friends of Chad and Lori have been completely shocked by what happened and had no idea the secrets that these two were hiding and the lies that they were spinning. It's just horrible all around because there was really no reason for it to have turned into this. And there were plenty of people around Tylee and JJ who, like I said earlier, would have happily happily taken them in. And what Chad and Lori did and are now trying to get out of is just vile, in my opinion. Like I mentioned earlier, this case has so many people and is all over the place. I have put like a full page together just of links of sources, but I did want to mention the big ones that I relied on the most to put this all together. I read about one zillion day-to-day articles from eastidahonews.com, super helpful. And then the Idaho Press website and the KUTV website all had a ton of great coverage on this case. I also rewatched all of Stephanie Harlow's YouTube videos from when this case was like unfolding. I highly recommend those and literally her entire YouTube channel, she's an icon. You can watch some of the different interview clips in her videos and they're very interesting if you want to be able to see and hear from the people's mouths who are involved in this case. Okay, wow. This was a long one, you guys. If you're still here, thank you for listening to this whole thing. I really hope that it made sense. This was a really challenging, um, like in a good way, very challenging episode for me to put together because it did take a ton of invested googling and lots of work looking at different articles and trying to piece things together as there were so many updates. Um, so I hope that it all made sense. I hope it was understandable and you enjoyed listening to it. Um... If you would like to subscribe, I would love that. Please subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review. Um, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that there is justice for Tylee and JJ. And I hope that this trial is not something that keeps getting pushed or drags on forever or that somehow these people pull a Casey Anthony. Again, we will never speak of her <laughs> because these kids deserve justice and there is so much evidence and it's so obvious what happened. Uh, anyways, thank you for being here. I'll talk to you soon, and just remember, don't ever let anyone convince you that they can talk to you through a closet portal, or that your husband has turned into a zombie. Okay, bye!